Yeah. You know what they say about Helen Mazer Day? It's a day on, not just a day off. They do. Yeah. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dave. Thanks for joining Bob and I for our podcast, Thriving in Dystopia. And even though we always try and be professionals, sometimes we swear. So just know that going in. Just let me know when you're ready to record, Bob. Hit the button, Dave. Button going into overdrive. Hey, Bob, I got a bold prediction. I'm all ears. I think one of us is going to get a phone call during the podcast today. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and I think I couldn't tell if it was the host or the guest, but someone's phone just kept on going off. And I'm like, oh, no, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah. I used to set my phone to silent, and then I realized that nobody calls me. So, um, I, I have it on vibrate and I'm, I just feel like it's going to happen. I mean, sure. We always get messages. There was one time I got a phone call, right? Yeah. It is. I can't remember when and where, but I'm sure that happened. Yeah. But I'm pretty quick to hit the mute button. I'm also, I usually don't multitask while podcasting, but I'm going to try and eat a peanut butter sandwich today. Is it pure peanut butter? <laughs> Just, yep. It's uh, peanut butter spread between two slices of peanut butter. No, I got some choke cherry jam on there. Nice. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good quality Colorado jam. Go with the cherry. Yeah, I don't know what choke cherries are. Well, it was in the it was in the cupboard, so I just cracked it open. No idea where those came from, but loving it. They might be the ones that are like a little bit more sour or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it just, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for the podcast today, Bob. Yeah. Um, let's get into it, Dave, because you had a great little opener for us to to go with. You want to break that one open? Oh, yeah. I forgot for a second where I was going to go. So I have been just like kind of thinking about Okay, here's how it goes. Here's how it went down. I started getting into pro basketball through this one YouTube channel called Jimmy High Roller. And he does a lot of charts and talks about like just weird intricacies that happen in basketball. And he always does it to like some like um like bebop jazz, and it's pretty great. And yeah, I just like started really liking his videos early on in the pandemic. And then all of a sudden, the NBA went like full on in support of Black Lives Matter and people were kneeling and everyone got to put really great stuff on their shirts and all that. And it seemed like the commissioner was on board too. I can't remember his name. Larry Doby or something like that. <laughs> That's like the exact opposite of his name, but let's get, keep it going, Dave. <laughs> so, and I was like, I, as you know, I've, root, I've rooted for about two teams in the NBA in my career. And that was like the late 80s, early 90s Cleveland Cavaliers. And that was with like Mark Price, Brad Doherty, um, yeah, they were just like pretty, they were pretty pathetic. They were a great team, but they were just like always just like a step down from the real teams. You know, it's like 
Malone and Stockton were the real combo, you know? And then, like, the step down was, like, John Starks and Patrick Ewing. And then the step down from that was, like, <laughs> Mark Price and Brad Doherty. Hey, I won't, I won't have you t- talk about that team in those ways. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just always, I was like, ah, we just never did anything. And none of them could, none of those teams could compete with Michael and Magic and Larry Bird. Um, anyhow, the, the other team I rooted for, throughout the NBA's career was any team that Chauncey Billups played for. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And that's it. That's like the only, I like really like LeBron as a human being. And I feel like he's like such a good person and he's done like amazing things um, from a position of like power, you know, but also like he you know, we've talked about it on the podcast a little bit, but he's just like done some really amazing stuff for the world. And not every superstar does that. So I like do really love LeBron. Um, but I don't know. The goal that I'm thinking about is I'm finally ready to do it, Bob. I'm ready to take the plunge and pick a new NBA team. And it's going to happen right now, right here. So I want a little advice from you. Where Love do I it, go? Dave. Love it. Oh, yeah, well, I'm curious, like, do you want to root for a team just for the season based on how, like, the players are? Or do you want to, like, get into a franchise and just be like, yeah, I'm all about some franchise. Which one are you more looking for? I'm, I'm thinking a little bit more towards option B become an, an, an enfranchised fan of some random NBA team. Nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, some of the qualifiers that I was trying to Google this morning at around 5.30 in the morning was like, what? who is the most radical? Or like, what NBA team uh, supports, supported like BLM the most? Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I was also looking at like what owners have like donated money to like different organizations and charts like that. But it didn't get me very far, to be honest. And I also was just like looking at all the rosters of the current teams and sort of thinking about which, yeah, do I want to, I could just like root for a star, you know, like there was a period in the NFL where I was just rooting for Richard Sherman, wherever he was playing football, you know? Yep. Um, but. Yeah, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. You want like a the best franchise in terms of consciousness and that'd be awesome to find that. That'd be like a lot of research, I think. And you well, maybe it wouldn't, I don't know. Like certainly there's a time period where I remember just despising NBA owners. Like I thought they were just awful. You remember that, like the owner of the Clippers is a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And Mike, Mark Cuban sucks. And oh like, yeah. Um, so the owner of the heat donated a ton of money to the Trump campaign. Yes. Um, which makes sense. And that's pretty horrible if he's in Miami and like putting just so much money in that direction makes you really want to jump off the heat bandwagon. El yep. heat. <laughs> you know, here's the other thing. I I was watching this YouTube video about the NFL player strike in the 1970s, 
and mm-hmm. how it got really busted up really quick by owners. And there was two teams that were most emblematic of this. And one was the Philadelphia Eagles led by Randall Cunningham. So maybe it was the 80s. Did I say 70s? Um, but he, he was like 24 years old at the time. And he, like him and his whole team, even though Randall wasn't like a big strike guy, they like not a single Philadelphia Eagle crossed the picket line, except for three guys because they needed access to um, like training uh, the medicine that the trainers had because they were like hurt or sick and they had like permission from the team. And, you know, they like the whole town of Philadelphia like supported the strike and it's like contrasted by the Dallas Cowboys and how they're, they just got like their union totally got busted up and like all their players crossed the picket line because of like X, Y, or Z, you know, deaths were happening. They had no support from the city. Like Dallas is not like a union town like Philadelphia is. And there was this like famous play because, you know, in general, the strike didn't work. It only lasted like three weeks. So, and the players got none of what they wanted and they lost a ton of money, which is a shame. But, uh, you know, Phil, the Eagles played the Cowboys like in the first game back and the Eagles were just like tearing up the Cowboys and it was the last play of the game. Um, and you know, they should have just taken a knee, but Randall Cunningham just like tore off like a 50 yard run on like third and long and just like, it was pretty awesome. And, um, yeah. And then they ended up rushing the ball because Cunningham got tackled at like the three and then they were just like, screw it. And they just got a touchdown. So anyways, um, I kind of feel like that's the type of team I'd like to support. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of the Green Bay Packers, you know, like owned by the city of Green Bay. Yeah. Love yeah. That. Yeah. Nothing stands out to me. You know, I, I kind of pay attention to this and like when franchises are cool and nothing in the NBA strikes me or like, like, oh, this is a good franchise. It's always like the players and the coaches, but I, I never know what the owners are actually thinking about the political mm. stances of their team. I do know that two owners of the Bucks have donated money to the Biden campaign. So typically it seems like most um, NBA teams are owned by several people. Yeah, I think and, so. And so two different owners of the Bucks donated to Biden, which is pretty good. And I do like Giannis. So I was kind of leaning towards the box, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really don't like the Brooklyn Nets right now. Like as a squad or as a franchise? As a squad. I like Kevin Durant, but I feel like um, they just got James Harden, and I feel like he is just quite annoying to me. Yeah. Yeah, the situation in Houston seemed... Really, really bad for everyone involved. And mm-hmm. I, yeah, they're a wild team. Kyrie is kind of oh yeah, a wild card as well. So just who knows? I mean, I kind of, I think they'll be a very interesting team to watch. 
Yeah, that's true. Hmm. You know, the other team that comes to mind is kind of the the Portland Trailblazers. I feel like they're kind of on the up and up. Yeah, they definitely are. I feel like, I don't know if this is true, but I feel like Damian Lillard was like one of the guys that was most vocal about BLM. Um, But maybe I'm wrong about that. And he's kind of like their big star from what I know, right? Yeah, he is definitely their big star. I don't remember him being vocal. Yeah. And Portland is just like a funny, I mean, they're a horrible franchise, but it's a funny team to have a, like Oregon basically has the trailblazers, you know? I mean, they have the Timbers as well, but yeah, I guess I'm kind of leaning towards the Bucks or the Blazers. You know, if, if I, if I'm leaning towards anyone, um, it's the Phoenix Suns. Huh. Why is that? Um, I noticed that they've had like some good young talent for a long time and, um, they traded for Chris Paul or they signed Chris Paul and I'm, I'm just curious about how that can go. And they've been just, yeah, terrible since Steve Nash left. Um, (laughs) so I might go, we should, we should both go in the Western conference. Okay. Yeah. Maybe um the Blazers can be your Western Conference team and, and I'll take the Suns. Nice. Yeah. Is Milwaukee Eastern Conference? Yeah, they are. Oh, perfect. All right. I got my teams that I'm rooting for, Bob. And I think Eastern, you're not gonna believe this, but I'm gonna go back to the the old school. I'm going Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah, they've had some pretty good games so far this season, huh? Yeah, they have. They've taken it to a few teams. I don't even know who's on that team. They got some young point guard who's really coming into his own. Nice. LaMelo Ball? No, Just I think he's somewhere else. Yeah. I remember where he is. Ah, well, that feels good. Get, a little, in, get a little NBA talk out of the way. I also feel like the Utah Jazz might be a favorite to win, huh? They, they are looking pretty strong. I would agree with that. They're like the classic team of just like passing the ball around. No real huge stars yet. <laughs> oh, classic jazz ball. Jazz ball. Jasmine. Yes. Uh, you also want to talk about yesterday a little bit, Bob? Yeah. Yesterday was January 23rd. And in Boulder County, Colorado, that's also known as Helen Maisler Day. Since 2009, I believe, when the county commissioners voted unanimously to rename the day Helen Maisler Day. And we love that day. Um, shout out to our mom, a longtime listener. <laughs> and actually, other listeners uh, have mentioned that they really enjoyed that episode with mom. And mm-hmm. so just feel like we should honor her on the show. And talk a little bit about Helen Maisler day. It's, uh, I think mom really, um, embraces her roots as a nurse on Helen Maisler day. And I certainly connected with her, you know, like in the lineage of Florence Nightingale and like her service of nursing is very intertwined in that day for me. And 
yeah, it's just great. I mean, our mom works so hard and is a pillar for so many different communities mm. that it's great to just honor her. Yeah. You know what they say about Helen Mazer Day? It's a day on, not just a day off. They do. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, actually it's a day on and it's also not a day off. <laughs> no, it's purely a day on. Yeah. And I do love the tradition of wearing purple and drinking all your drinks with on the rocks as it were. Yep. Climb, climb a mountain, have a drink on the rocks, you know? Uh, hey, that's a uh, Dan Kendrick. Yep. Nailed it. Oh, well, we love you, mom. Yeah. I kind of feel like she's the gasoline that makes this podcast go sometimes, you know? Yeah, definitely. She is, yeah, integral. She's the, maybe the producer, you might even say, you know? Yeah, she, she does pull a lot of strings. Yeah, she's the silent producer. Yep. <laughs> she sends one email a week <laughs> on her reflection. Pretty sweet. Well, Bob, I think we got to get after it and confront what, we're, what we've been avoiding for so long. There it is, Dave. Very well put. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, I, you know, as, as we all know, this season is all about avoidance and some of the topics, oh, most of them, if not all, we'll, we're going to try and delve a little bit into what it means to avoid and the good, the bad, and the ugly, as it were. What did you, aren't aren't we going to do like a two parter on ugliness? It's not ugliness. I think we're doing a two parter on di- the disgusting. Oh yeah, the disgusting. Oh man, people are going to go nuts for that one. Yeah, talk about clickbait. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah. So this week we're kind of just going to go after some confrontation, the opposite of avoidance and why that can be necessary. I, I want to try and talk about it as much as we can in the positive, if that's all right with you, Bob. I can't make any promises, Dave, but okay. Okay. Well, at least you can, we can start there, right, Bob? Absolutely. Um, I'm I'm just going to let you just go where, you will, and then I'll I'll throw my two cents in from there. Sweet. Well, I think I'm going to start us off with a story, if that's all right. Oh, you're beautiful. Thank you, Dave. Yeah. This week, we had pajama day, just to welcome the kids back to full in-person learning. And I, I wanted to sort of carry the torch of celebration as much as I could into the week, even though I didn't feel a ton like celebrating. I still wanted to like put that on the mantle. And I think there's like, I don't know why pajama day is like a thing and kids just love it so much. It wasn't a thing when we were growing up, but now it's become a thing and it's pretty fun. I own this unicorn outfit and um, so many people we're dressing up as unicorns. I can't tell you how many kids have unicorn onesies. And, you know, my coworker has a uni- unicorn onesie, Ashlyn, and it was fun to dress up with her. And anyhow, so on Unicorn Day, you get to bring stuffed animals in because it's pajama day and you get to bring one like cozy thing to cuddle up with during the day, which is also a lot of fun. 
And one of my students brought in like one of her favorite stuffed animals, a rabbit. And she can be a little bit careless, you know? So she brought it out to recess and sort of just like left it on the ground. And the story that I got when I came back in from recess was that two of my other students had like buried her stuffed animal. And there was like, it became like a he said, she said type of deal. You know what I mean? Like, I I was just, I'm so upset that they buried my stuffed animal and they were like, we didn't do it. You like left it on the ground. We just, we didn't even touch your stuffed animal. And that is like a moment that's like a classic teacher moment when you walk in and you're like, oh, like all this stuff happened at recess. And it's, you got to like problem solve. And I was like pretty exhausted. It was Friday afternoon, kind of at the end of my rope. And I'm like, I, I need to like, I can't just be passive. I could be passive. And that's like what my instinct was telling me to do. Like, okay, let's forget about it. And like, we got to move on to our next lesson. But instead, I like muster up this courage. I don't really know where it came from, to be honest with you. And I decided that like we needed to confront this as a class. And so I said, you know, we need to stop everything. And I like put on my serious voice and we need to talk about this because I'm like not okay with the fact that we need, that we're like, that my class is not taking care of each other. And that has me feeling super sad. So we just like started to air out feelings. I let them like each take a turn and talk about it. And then I also shared stories about like sadness and hardness. And, um, you know, in the end, like we didn't quite get there, but like we were almost there. And I was like, can we like finish this with just the, the people involved at the back table? And then I told the rest of the class just to read like pick a book out and find a book that they want to read. And actually, yeah, what I ended up doing was I just took the student that felt the most hurt who her stuffed animal had been buried and I took her to the back table. And one of the, like, I can't remember the restorative justice word, but the inst- I don't know, instigator, let's say, came over and was like, Mr. Peachtree, is it okay if I like sit down and talk with you guys because I'm involved? And he like just like said, I did it and I feel so bad about it right now. And I just want to say sorry. I'm like, oh my God, like I've never, I've never been as proud of a student in my life as in that moment of him like confronting like something that was really scary and like fessing up to like doing something wrong, you know? And you know, my student felt like infinitely better. And she's like, she was just like, yeah, it feels good to hear you say that. And I was like, oh my God, guys, like this is like such a breakthrough moment. So I got as much chocolate out as I could. And we just all started eating chocolate. Then I realized I'm dairy free this week. And I was like, ah, shoot. <laughs> um, but yeah, it felt like a nice moment. And I just wanted to share that because I feel like confronting the pain is something that we don't do very much. And it's much easier for to like just push everything underneath the the rug 
and to move on. And as adults, we almost never get a chance like that. And we never get to like just step step up and like deal with a hurt in that way. And yeah, it was a really like moment of like, I'm so glad I didn't avoid this. And it was like definitely, it was probably the best moment of my year so far. So I just wanted to share that story and see what it brings up in you, Babo. Oh, that was great. I loved hearing that. Um, yeah, it, I'm so pleased to hear that. I want to like emphasize or echo what you said at the very end there that like this, I think there's a few layers of confronting. You, you mentioned like it was on a Friday, you were tired and like you had an impulse to like be passive, but then you you confronted that impulse or something and you, you confronted the situation. So there's, there's you confronting it. And then there's the student at the very end who fessed up and said, sorry. And that was a confrontation of sorts. Um, it's kind of like with both of these, there's the word confrontation. The, the connotation is like, we're confronting uh, someone else out there who's like maybe an abuser, like, or has done abuse. But we're in this context, you and I are using the word confrontation of like confronting our own tendency to avoid something. And I like that. That's interesting. So I want to note that. But then what I actually really wanted to note was just you saying that this was the, the, like one of the best moments of the year for you. And so that's uh, some, that's like a lesson that I'd like us to take from this, like, this process of confronting something in ourselves, um, confronting the desire to avoid maybe is, can lead to great moments. And I, I agree with you on that one. I'll tell my own story in a moment, but I want to ask you, um, did the students, have you like taught them restorative justice? Cause it seemed like there was some of that going on. Do they like, would you say they have, a consciousness around that? Um, or have you not taught that? Uh, to be fair, I'd say not really, you know, like I've, I've delved into it a little bit here and there, but not in, not in the ways that I wanted to. Like if we look back to the start of the year and our conversation we had on like week, maybe 16, 17, something like that and education. And it's just been such a weird year. It's hard to do like restorative circles online. And honestly, there hasn't been too many problems that have cropped up, you know, um, problems happen more often. Like when there's, you know, a bunch of kids and not that many adults and it just, it just doesn't happen online. So we haven't. And yes, like there was a few weeks where I was in person, but like, I only had a few kids, like nine kids maximum on a given day. And it is like the direction I'm moving, of course, like to do restorative circles. And, you know, we've been doing like a lot of journal entries and a lot of um, sharing and thinking. Think pair shares are what they are called um, around different like deep questions throughout the week. Um, So they were definitely 
ready for it. And, you know, I've built up so much trust in these kids throughout the year. So it's not like, it's not like a real week one, even though there's a lot of feelings that are like similar to week one at a school. But yeah, they just like trust me implicitly, you know? So that feels like, and I'm ready to like take that trust and run with it a little bit. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And that's another take home message right there. Um, like that these confrontations happened in a context of trust. I think that's going to be really important. Like, uh, I don't think all conf- confrontations can necessarily happen in such a con- uh, context, but it seems like that was a crucial component, um, both in like the act of confronting and then maybe in also like that, it, that it went well, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I've done these before. Like last year I did a lot of subbing, you know, and I've done this. I did it last year at times and it didn't go nearly as well. And I think in large part, it's because I'm, I'm not the sub trying to like pull a move, you know, I'm like their teacher where they like, I don't know, just like being a kid's teacher is like the label of that compared to being a kid's substitute is so different. And I hate that. I hate how that has like changed like what I'm able to do because I'm not a substitute right now. Then I'm like, it's just tough. Anyways, I'm grateful for like the position of power that I have because it like, but I just feel like we all need to like, I don't know. Maybe it's not just the label. Maybe it is the fact that I've been with these kids for like six months already. Almost. Yeah, no, the, I mean, the, the label thing I'm sure plays into it at some level, um, either within your head or within the way that the students are treating you. I think that is an important part. Um, maybe I'm going to shift gears and tell my story and then we'll draw comparisons if that's okay, Dave. Love it, Bump. Cool. And I'm going to stick with the educational context. I want to note for our listeners that, you know, we mean this in like any context, you know, confrontation in like your friendships or your romantic relationships or at work or with family, you know, like I I think we'll, we'll branch out. But since you started with education, it just flashed a story in my mind. So I'll stick with it. So mine came at the beginning of fall quarter in a class and I was teaching a seminar and it was, it was in the very first day. Um, just was like, not- I'm always noticing power dynamics and who's talking and who, who's not and what are the identities of the students who are talking. And I noticed like a white male student was talking for like the third time in the class. And so I was like, I was noticing it and like a little bit irritated with it. And I, it was like a question. It was like a clarifying question he was asking me. And like, I clarified it pretty well. I mean, I could have said more, but he didn't get it fully. And he like asked another following question. I just got like more irritated. Um, and just like, I don't think I was showing my irritation that much, but a little bit, I was just like being short. Um, I was still giving answers, but not as long of answers. Then a third student came in, um, and like gave a reference like, Oh yeah, if you're interested in this, like see this book. And that seemed to like move the conversation on. Um, and then after class, I got an email 
from that second student um, saying that they wanted to talk with me about class today. And I think I emailed back and said, like, does it have anything to do with the interactions towards the end of the class? And they said, yes. So I was like, oh, interesting. Um, and so that student I met, and it was a little bit counterintuitive what they told me. They said, like, they, you know, in Zoom, you can do like a private message. They private message that first student and like kind of said something like shut up, like with a joke and some emojis, like they meant it to be joking, but the first student didn't quite get that. And, um, it went back and forth in their, like, their like private message. And all, all that student really wanted to say to me is that like that happened and they weren't like hurt by it, but they were like, I think they just wanted to be careful of them, their own self that they hadn't like offended that first student. Um, and, um, I, it, you know, it was like, it, you know, I was irritated at that first stu- student too. So it's like, I definitely sympathize with this student. And I said, well, are you okay if I have a conversation with this other student? And do you want to par- be a part of a, a like three-way discussion? And they're like, yeah, I want to be a part of a three-way discussion. And so I, I contacted the, you know, student I was irritated with. And that student was a little bit, I think, scared. And they wanted to have like a one-on-one with me before the three-way conversation. And um, in the one-on-one we talked about, like, I just asked them like what their experience of class was. And um, I, I think I came back with like a little bit of what that second student told me that they didn't mean their, their chat in any malicious way. And then I also talked my own experience about like, Hey, like if I was coming off as like, um, in a way that was like hurtful to you, that was coming from a place of, I was noticing power dynamics and like, here are like why I noticed power dynamics and, and they seem to get that. So, um, it was a pretty good conversation. And then the three of us had a conversation and we all got to share our experiences with how things went. And, um, I think we came up with like a few community agreements. I can't quite remember what they were like going forward. Um, but like it, whatever happened, like, I guess probably the fact that we were all able to share our experiences and it was taken pretty well. It did clear the air in, in good ways. And I guess for me that I was able to articulate to that first student that they, I want them to be more aware of the space that they're taking up as a white male student. And they, they seem to get that. Um, that was good for me. That's what I, I needed. Um, and it seems like they got what they needed as well, because that class turned into like an amazing class. And it, what was amazing about it is throughout the quarter students told more and more vulnerable stories. And like, by the end of the quarter, there was a pretty deep intimacy of sharing and, and caring, like supporting each other. And I do think a lot of it had to do with that, like conversation between these, me and these other two students at the early parts of the quarter. Um, I think it had some good ripple effects in the class. Um, and that class is still going like a core group of students wanted to continue it as a book club and like activist space. Um, so it's still going. Um, so yeah, I guess on your positive note, Dave, that was a, a very positive experience for me. Nice. Yeah. 
I don't know if you had the same reaction, but I feel when I was listening to your story, that just felt so difficult to me. <laughs> you know, is that was that your reaction to my story at all? Oh, it totally was. When you mentioned it to me, what flashed in my head is like, oh God, Dave's going through hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't wish anyone in your position. Yeah. It's so interesting. I feel like that is why we avoid confrontation because it just sounds like so much freaking work, you know? Yeah. Even logistically, like setting up all those calls in particular ways, you know? And the outcome for both of us was so good. Like it, like, and for the kit, for the students, it probably is. I mean, it was good for your students and will end up probably being beneficial for my students, but it's like, I don't know. I'm sure that my students didn't want to go through it. Like none of them did, you know? And I don't, I can't imagine your students. They sounded like pretty nervous and uh, worked up about it. Yeah, they were, they were, there's a lot of reluctance at different points in like going forward with it. Yeah. (sighs) Which makes sense. And this is why we avoid um, doing the hard things. There's, yeah, it's like a combination uh, of like when the event happens, it seems both, it, it seems two things. It seems scary. And then it also seems like just a lot of labor, um, which are very interconnected things, but also distinct. Um, so, and both those things together make it look like either like a, a mountain to climb or like a big, scary boogeyman. Um, so maybe, maybe the point is in like taking our stories is like, yes, it's going to seem that way. And it may be both scary and a lot of work, but it's almost never as much as it seems like when the event starts to erupt. Would you say that? Yeah. Yeah. And moreover, the amount of work that I probably would have had to put in throughout the course of the rest of this year managing the conflict between those two students is uh, would have been extreme. You know, I probably would have had so so many lunches and would have had to do so much mediation to a point where the students would hate each other just because it meant that they missed a fun lunch or they, they missed whatever, you know, and they have to have another like conference and like, they like being around me. So it's not like a huge, like, bad thing for them but like nobody really wants to conference about their feelings during lunch um and yeah so it's like you gotta nip it in the bud because like your class might have derailed so fast bomb yeah like it could it could have gone so bad right yeah it could have been a pretty toxic space um and and i you know i think i'm noticing with zoom classrooms like a lot depends on me because I'm facilitating. I'm just the facilitator every time. And just that gives me by far the most power. Um, so that the instructor in a Zoom class has to be all about the class. You know, they have to, br- they have to lead with like good vibes and like, yay, we're going to do this. And like, this is, this is going to be worth your while. Um, so if I wasn't that way, that class never would have got to a place of like continuing. It would, it would have been like, I don't know, at best, just like, uh, uh, thank God we're done with this, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I guess I'm just trying to think. I, I wanted to give a little bit of time to the negative, Bob. Like, is like, I don't know. I don't know quite what I'm trying to say, but confrontation in the negative sense, like to the point where is it ever really bad is, is what I'm trying to get after. It might be. I mean, I could see an attempt at confronting the problem not going well. And it's sort of like, well, at least not going as well as in our stories here. Um, you know, I could imagine like a fair amount of labor and it not going anywhere. They're, like people just not seeing eye to eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that's like worse than not confronting it. That might actually probably be better than not confronting it. Um, it might always be worth it, even if it doesn't go as well as our two stories made it seem. Yeah. I And I guess I'm talking about confrontation and the I, idea that when there's a problem between two people, interpersonal relationships and confrontation um, based on that. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? I mean, there's yeah. obviously the confrontation of like, you know, like the U.S. and Afghanistan, you know, like that. That's kind of a different thing than what I'm trying to get after, I guess. Yeah, you're kind of saying like an in interpersonal relationships, whether it's like our friends, our family or our like coworkers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think, I think there's a lot more possibilities of like negative stuff like that we hopefully will get into in other episodes on this season. Um, yeah, I think we have like a few mm, like little answers or like really insights and, but there's also still a lot of questions I think. And so I think that's a great place to be in the second episode. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm very, I think, at a good place and leaving a lot of things open. Um, but I, I, yeah, maybe you could take the last words on this, Dave. Yeah, I, I, I guess one thing is the drain from confrontation is real, you know? And maybe if anything, sometimes like it's good to take a, a space and some movement away from being so drained from like an interpersonal conflict, you know, and confronting that because taking space away can also offer healing. Um, so I was, yeah, I just know that sometimes you can't confront because you're, you're just at wit's end, you know, and that's okay too. And I think maybe we'll walk down that path of, of like, avoidance for your own sanity or safety, you know, serenity now. And yeah, I think that I'm proud of everyone that is able to confront the, I just like the hard, the hardness, you know, and willing to step up. There's a, a famous quote from Scrubs, world famous quote from the TV show Scrubs that says, nothing worth having comes easy. And I feel like there's a lot of truth to that. We got to work for what we, the, the really, 
the really good things in life, we work for it. <sighs> so Absolutely. that was good, Bum. Well, I'll lead us down the next path if that's all right, Bum. I can't wait, Davey. <laughs> um, all right. Karl Marx in the sky. George Orwell can fly twice as high. Fahrenheit 451. Dystopian rainbow. <laughs> Copy that. That's the song. <laughs> I just like the idea of George Orwell and Karl Marx flying. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, Davey. Well, I guess it's my week. I have a dystopia for the dystopian rainbow corner. Nice. Yes. And I'm, I'm real excited actually about this one because it's, I know it's one that you've seen and I, I want to like hear your take on it. So Dave, I finally watched maybe the best TV show of 2019 and it's a dystopia. Do you yeah. know what it is? Uh, it's gotta be the watchman, right? Correct. Yeah. Who guards the guards, Dave? I mean, were you not hooked after like 15 minutes in? I was. And yeah. it, was, it, was, it was just fantastic. They crushed it. Um, so let me give the, the listeners just a little bit of background. Watchmen is like a TV show, and there's like maybe eight or 10 hour-long episodes. And it's like an extension of this graphic novel that is just a classic. Um, I think it's the first graphic novel we ever read, even before V for Vendetta. Watchmen. And they Alan Moore. Yeah. Alan Moore is in it. Um, or or one of the co-writers, I think. Yep. And they made a movie, Watchmen, like about 10 years ago. And, you know, I remember watching it and I was like, this is pretty good. Um, but I'm not blown away. Um, so finally this, this TV show on HBO, I finally, that it lives up to the graphic novel. And so the, the premise, the dystopian world they live in is, you know, it's pretty similar to our world, but like somewhere a long time ago, people decided to start wearing masks and be superheroes in this world, like maybe in the 1930s or 40s. And actually they do clarify it in this new series, Um, but you didn't exactly know when it was in the earlier, like watching it, or maybe you do, maybe super fans know, but I don't, but that seemed to be like the biggest shift. And then this other like monstrous shift is that there's this guy called um, Dr. Manhattan who like this physicist, created he did something to himself and he became like as powerful as a god um so that's also different and yeah that's the i don't know like i still never know how to make sense of that like what are they doing like what is the ontology of this world that like because they're so different anyways we'll get back to that in a second the new series picks up like i guess the original watchman is like in the 80s maybe and then the new series is now and they start with the uh, Tulsa um, like massacres of 1921, which is like a real event in U S history. That's not taught nearly enough, but it's like this awful 
brutally awful massacre of like 500 black people in Tulsa, Oklahoma by white people. And previously, I think it's in Greenwood, Greenwood, something Greenfield, part of Tulsa, the black community had built like a really strong economic community and they destroyed it all. Um, so yeah, the lead, the lead character is connected to like, um, like she has black ancestry that goes back to there. And that's just super interesting. Um, and the one, one other thing I wanted to mention is what's his name? He, um, he's in Oh Brother. He plays like, um, I'm forgetting his name. Um, but you know, him. like he's yeah, one of our favorite actors, he plays like this superhero, um, named looking glass. And he's the, the cool thing is, is he's great in that role, but he's also from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I think that's just awesome. So nice. yeah, great, great series, Dave. And yeah. What do you think when you were watching it? Yeah. Uh, Tim Blake, Nelson, Delmar. Thank Delmar, you. Do not seek the treasure. Um, actually that's, uh, John Turturro. Anyways. <laughs> um, yeah, there it is. Yeah. I, I guess I don't have much to add except I want to say that I think I, I love the graphic novel and I think that this series blows it out of the water. Nice. I think it is one of the few, I mean, it's not really a book. It's a graphic novel, but it just, and it, but it's like, it's widely seen as one of like the top, it's in the top five of everyone's graphic novels of all time. You know what I mean? Um, it, and this graphic novel like kind of changed everything along with a couple other like Sandman and uh, V for Vendetta. But anyway, this, this just blows it out of the water and it deals with, it, it's just like so on topic. And I feel like, I think I said this last time when I was talking about it, but it, it probably came out of what was happening in Ferguson because I'm, yeah. I'm imagining that this show was written around 2016 and, but it just is interesting how by the time it got produced and put on air, it like coincided very strongly with what was happening um, with George Floyd this last summer. So that's yeah. so right. Yeah. It was like it, prophetic in the sense that they started in Tulsa. And then, I mean, there was a, Huge, like after, like for Juneteenth, you know, like 45 scheduled a like rally in Tulsa on Juneteenth. And so it, it like made Tulsa in the limelight. And most people don't know about that history um, of Tulsa. So I think a lot of people learn that history this year. And then Watchmen also coincidentally teaches people that history. Yeah, it's, it was good. I hope that a few people, if, if only one other person watches it because of this, that'd be pretty cool. So hopefully y'all get inspired to download it illegally um, or watch it legally. Either way, I don't care. You know, my suggestion, cancel your Disney Plus account, get HBO Max, and, and you know, watch it. <laughs> yes, Bob. Because, you know, everyone still has their HBO because they had to get it again, or sorry, their Disney to watch the second season of The Mandalorian, right? Right. So, recancel it. Yeah. There's no point in keeping that thing, right? <laughs> nope. Yeah. Uh, 
Beautiful, Bob. Well, I, I do got to say that I didn't get a phone call. How about you? I guess I could check. Um, no. Nope, I did not, Dave. Yep. Ugh. Well, the prophecy is not strong with me today, hermano. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait till we, we pick this up again, Dave, and um, hopefully the Suns play the Blazers within the next week. Oh, yeah. Keep me informed. And also, if there's a team I should be rooting for, let me know. I don't really, I mean, I'm, I'm a Portland fan now through and through, but, um, <laughs> you know, I can always be convinced to go a different direction. Well, um, maybe give our listeners our coordinates so they can like get in touch with you about which team you should be a fan of. Yeah. Uh, hit me up at, uh, Dave Peachtree at Gmail, or you can go to our website. I don't know if there's anything at that website for coordinates, but it's a beautiful website. Good pictures. Um, and that's thriving in dystopia. You haven't been posted on Instagram. Maybe you got to post this one, Bob. I will post away, Dave. Yeah. I posted the combo series with Dan. Um, and I'm glad I did. Yeah. Good. So yeah. Instagram is thriving underscore in underscore dystopia. And then be maze 19. Let's do it, Dave. Cue that music, Nadir. <laughs> Cue it up. That's that's Love our you, favorite thing to say, isn't it, Bob? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Love you too, Bob. Talk to you soon. Ciao. Ciao. What's up, Driving Crew? Bob and Dave want to take a second to thank you for lending them your ears. They also want to thank the artists for making everything a little more beautiful. The intro song is in heaven by Drake Stafford. Our audio is edited by the consummate and dexterous Nadir Chayech. Web design by Chris the Mixer Sawyer. And of course, visual art is by the prolific and enigmatic Joe Shine. And finally, our new outro song is Bashful by Ketza. See you next week.